Welcome to the Elevate Orthodontics Podcast with Dr. Lance Miller. Each week, we bring you interviews with the top minds in the orthodontic profession in order to heighten your expertise, boost your motivation, and raise your skills. Join us as we help doctors take their practices and their lives to the next level. And now, here's your host, Dr. Lance Miller. Welcome to the Elevate Orthodontics Podcast. I'm Dr. Lance Meller. I'm thrilled that you're here with us this week. I'm going to keep our introduction short today. We've got an amazing interview with Dr. Kyle Fagala. He's an expert on social media, and a lot of you have seen him speak or seen some of his material online. And in this interview, he really dives in and breaks down some of the things that you need to know about marketing your practice online. So it's a fantastic interview. You're going to love it. Let's do it. Dr. Kyle Fagala attended dental school and completed his orthodontic residency at the University of Tennessee. He and his wife, Anna, opened their first orthodontic practice, Saddle Creek Orthodontics, in Germantown, Tennessee, in the summer of 2013. Their second practice, located in Collierville, Tennessee, opened in May of 2016. Dr. Fagala is an instructor at the University of Tennessee Health Science Center. He's considered an expert on the topic of orthodontic social media and digital marketing, lecturing regularly on the topic. In 2016, Dr. Fagel had become a speaker and key opinion leader for 3M. He's been published in The Progressive Orthodontist and was recently on the cover of Orthodontics Products Magazine. Kyle is a drummer and has created one of the most watched orthodontic YouTube videos, Braces Off, a parody of Taylor Swift's Shake It Off. Dr. Fagla is the co-founder of Neon Canvas, a digital advertising agency for orthodontists, and publishes the bi-weekly vlog, The Digital Orthodontist, which you can find on YouTube. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Fagla. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Lance. Thanks for having me here, man. That was a, that was a great intro. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, singing you used the, vlog, used the word vlog correctly. This is I great. I did, didn't this I? I was yeah, like, yes. very good. Like I, I have to raise my game here in your presence. Yep. So yep. And you left out one very important thing, is that I look like a teenager, so... It's very important. I'm glad that I'm glad I have a I have a face for radio or I guess for blog uh, for a podcast. Podcasting. So you, you and I both, to a certain extent, look like we're yeah. like 17 years old. Yep. Yep. And I, maybe actually, I'm starting to get that <laughs> a little bit less. I feel like. Ah uh, well. But still, I get it a fair amount. But he, so here's my question, though. We're, we're, we'll lead with this. Um, should people be listening to young orthodontists like you and me, or should we sit back and wait 10 or 20 years to be worthy to give any advice? What, what do you think about that? <laughs> that's a great question. Of course, the answer is no. You should only be listening to old people. Um, that's, that's a, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, well, no, I think it depends. I think that's a great question. I feel like these Facebook groups, uh, there's obviously good and bad to all of this. And I, and I, I feel like as I got into orthodontics, the Facebook groups kind of started right around the same time, which is great. The good and the bad is, is it gives everyone kind of an equal voice to some degree. Uh, I think it's also the good and bad of social media in general is that it kind of gives people a false sense that their opinion matters. Um, and in some sense, not your, your opinion maybe doesn't matter or you maybe don't, shouldn't have that kind of platform. Uh, and so we're sort of living in the me, me, me generation, uh, just in social media in general. And, you know, we're validated by the number of likes and comments and shares that we get. Um, kind of bringing that back to sort of the Facebook group uh, paradigm, you know, in the orthodontic community, I think there are topics where, yeah, a young guy or gal has a voice that, that should matter and should be listened to. Uh, at the same time, there are certain things that, you know, I, I definitely am not going to be talking about, you know, class three surgery stability or something, you know. So I think social media is something I'm very native to. It's something that ever since I was a young child, like in some form it was there. So the internet was there. I was a very early adopter of that. And so I think in that way, 
you just said I'm, a, I'm an expert at that, and I, I, I guess so, but it's just because I've grown up with it. Uh, and definitely there are things where I know my limits, and I know that there's people that are much better at just clinical orthodontics in general or concepts of owning multiple offices or so on and so forth. I'm terrible. I saw where you were going to be interviewing uh, the, the white coat investor. Like I'm terrible <laughs> at financials and things like that. So when those topics come up, I stay out of the way. It's just not my area. So kind of a, a blended answer, yes and no. I think you should listen to us. Yeah, I think that there's a place now for people to discover kind of new and interesting opinions. The question obviously is, are all of those opinions equally valid? And, and that's, you know, I think will kind of work its way uh, out. But I like that, that I can uh, hear from people that I might not otherwise hear from, and I can connect with people in a way. And sometimes new and, opi- and improved opinions are great, and sometimes they're untested and they need to be worked on a little bit. You actually alluded to this a little bit. Uh, you wrote an article in the Progressive Orthodontist talking about the balance between not being afraid to break with tradition, but also mm-hmm. sticking with traditions that work. I think you uh, yeah, commented on that. How, how, do you, how do you strike that balance? Well, you're like, you're like calling out like things I wrote a long time. This is great, man. <laughs> this is Lance, you're doing a great job, man. Um, well, yeah. And so I'm going to try and say this too, is that I feel like 10 years ago, I mean, even five years ago, like I wouldn't be speaking for 3M or I wouldn't be publishing in magazines. Like it was really closed. And I, I think like that's the beauty of all this is that it does open up to where people can vet people's opinions and see if they know what they're talking about or not and be able to get people up on a stage that, you know, would have been a lot, you wouldn't have been able to do what you're doing right now um, yeah. without technology and how it's opened the doors for younger people. So it's great. Um, but I would say it's very easy for every new generation whether it's, you know, in a church setting or in, a, in an industry like orthodontics to just throw out everything that's been, you know, that's come before. And the truth is, is a lot of people have gone through these same, you know, mental exercises. The pendulum has swung back and forth several times. And so we have to accept that there are certain things that have just made sense and that are, you know, longstanding traditions for a reason. And yet I think all things should be questioned and you should go through those same mental exercises and if it means that you end up at the same conclusion that people have made for decade after decade, that's okay. Um, but I think in that article I was just talking about, I think one of those things is you see like the twin bracket, for instance. Like I think 10 years ago there was a big push towards PSL, and I'm a big respecter of PSL, but I think it's kind of maybe come back down a little bit. And I think you've seen a similar thing with TADS, how everyone went out and bought a TAD kit, and now it's kind of come back down to earth a little bit. And you may, I hope, kind of see that with like Smell Direct Club or some of these concepts is that we think it's going to be the end of us and hopefully maybe it'll reel back in. Um, and so I think that's just the way it is in industries in general. Yeah, I mean, the benefit of coming into orthodontics, you know, relatively new is obviously you're kind of questioning everything, right? You're seeing it for the first time and right. you're asking, why do we do it this way? Um, and so I think that the questioning part of it is really good. But at the same time, you know, we don't want to throw out all of the accumulated knowledge that the profession has gained. Right. And I think what it really boils down to is is you have to think. You have to really engage and evaluate things on its merit. Just because it's tried and true doesn't mean it's bad. And just because it's new and exciting doesn't mean it's good. But also right. the, the, the reverse is true as well. Right. Yeah, for me, closing loops. I, I said I would never use a closing loop again because I went to a pretty traditional school at Tennessee. And it was, you know, you close a half a millimeter of space, you'd use a closing loop. And I was like, well, this is stupid. I'm just going to use chain. But what you find out is that, well, closing loops are there for a reason. And, you know, anything over probably three or four millimeters of space, eh, you probably need to use one. And so it's, it's funny uh, kind of coming back and saying, well, I, I guess I understand why the education was the way it was. And I'm yeah. thankful that we took out so many teeth because now when I have to 5% of the time, I'm really well, uh, you know, prepared for it. 
Sure. You started your practice now almost four years ago. I'm wondering for people who may be listening, I'm sure there were struggles that you encountered along the way. Do you have a story or an experience that you went to that seemed kind of overwhelming at the time? And how were you able to work through that or kind of change your mindset to, to get through that? Sure. I mean, I think like for anyone who started a practice from scratch, I think everything at multiple points along the path are overwhelming <laughs> to the extent that you're like, I don't know how I'm going to do this. I, th I think I had a couple things uh, sort of in my corner, if you will, that really helped me succeed. The first of those is, and should never be understated, is my wife, Anna. Uh, when we moved to Memphis, uh, she had done radio and TV in college we just didn't want her to have, you know, you'd have an opposite schedule if you went into radio and TV, uh, you know, right out of college. She would have worked nights. I would have been in school during the day. So she actually worked for Ben Burris, uh, orthodontist in West Memphis. It just so happened that he had offered a job, and then I think the person who had taken it had to drop out. So it was really just a fortuitous thing. So she got to see the inside of what I know now is, you know, one of the more successful orthodontic offices in the world. Um, she was able to work there and then ended up going to a different office and working there, also another very good office. And so she was able to sort of train for at the time we didn't realize that we were going to be starting a practice together one day and she got the best possible kind of on the ground training that she should, she could have gotten. Um, and so that was huge. I'd say the other thing that, that worked out was, uh, I just assumed I would go into a partnership, uh, that, you know, and I actually had one that was going to happen and then it sort of fell through. So I was really more thrust into starting my own practice than anything. I don't know that I would have chosen it. I think looking back, it was perfect. And sometimes things work out that way where you want one thing, but then you realize it's much better that it goes a different direction. Uh, I was also able to find two days a week to work inside a pediatric dental office where I was doing orthodontics. And I caught a lot of flack for that, a lot of criticism for that. But I think as we understand sort of the orthodontic landscape and the way it's going, uh, the opportunities for young orthodontists getting out of school are few and far between. Uh, so starting a practice, I was able to do that. And I think, you know, digital marketing and some other things really helped me kind of get that off the ground. But it was really because of some other kind of aces in the hole that I had. Uh, both with my wife and then finding a great, you know, two day a week pediatric job uh, to, to sustain things and to be profitable to some degree early on. Um, otherwise, it's very hard. I mean, debt is, is a very real thing. Uh, and it takes a while to get a cold scratch practice off the ground. It takes a long time. Yeah. It just seems like when you're starting out, you have these fears and then sometimes they're irrational or, or challenges. Like I can remember when I, I, I didn't start a practice, I purchased a practice, but I remember mm. six weeks in, I came home one night and all of a sudden I just had this thought, what if all of my staff quit tomorrow? <laughs> yeah. And it was, and it was like totally irrational thought, but I spent like half yeah. the evening actually kind of worried about it. Like, oh sure. my gosh, what would I do and how would I? Sure. And, and, you know, it just seems like when you're getting started, you, you were really stressed by something and now you feel like, oh, I'm a little bit further down the road. I have some more perspective. Sure. You know, it's not, sure. that's not as big of a challenge for me. Okay, Kyle. So you're known for your social media savvy. And I had Greg Jorgensen on the podcast, uh, who's been watching his Google analytics for years. He, he says that very few people reach his website directly from social media. So where mm. do you think social media fits in the marketing arsenal of an orthodontic practice? Sure. Yeah, I, I think, and I think Greg would understand this as well or better than anyone else is that he has a very successful orthodontic blog is the best way to reach people from social media onto your website is, is via a blog. And so it's going to be your, your, your most direct link to getting a click from social media onto your website which it may not convert into a lead. Obviously, if it's someone from Colorado and I'm here in Memphis, like they're not going to come in for braces. But it does tell Google that there's a certain amount of authority 
to my website from a statistical standpoint, not to kind of bore you down, but um, if you have someone go to your website to read a blog, they spend six, seven minutes there, that's good data uh, for your website. And so that's going to establish again to Google as they're reading your website, looking at your statistics, your analytics, it's going to say that your website is somewhere that people are traveling to and spending time on as they read your blog. Um, and that so, would be better than someone who just comes and looks up your phone number and it closes their window immediately. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you're going to get more time spent on the website. I mean, that's again, like one of the most important things in search engine optimization is that you have a site that has regular fresh content. What better way to do that than a blog? And that also you're going to have people spending a lot of time on there, uh, or that you're going to have external links. And there's a lot of things that really feed into this concept of a blog and why it's important. And while I'm not someone that likes to blog or to read blogs, there are a lot of people who do like to read blogs and they will and they'll click through. And so social media kind of becomes a megaphone for those sort of things and a way to, you know, to, to reach out into the audience and pull people over to your website. Um, so what I would argue is, is that while Facebook may not be a great direct way of getting like, you know, a mom of three that needs to get their kids some braces and pulling them over to your website, most people are going to go to Google at the zero moment, they call it. The zero moment being when someone decides they need braces, they're going to go to Google most of the time. Now, this is going to be perhaps after they've asked their dentist or after they asked a friend. They're not going to go to Facebook and search up in Facebook like, I need an orthodontist. They're going to go to Google. What you hope is that because they've seen you on Facebook and you've marketed to them, whether they've realized it or not, what I call the double zero moment, the moment before the zero moment, that when they go to Google at the zero moment, they think of you, or at least they're reminded of you when they see you show up. And so I would say Facebook, from a direct standpoint, it would be when you blog, you get them onto your website, and then indirectly, when they actually go to Google and they're looking for the service that they need, they see your name pop up and they're like, oh, I know that office from Facebook. So I would say Facebook is super uh, important, but you're not necessarily going to get direct click-through or they're not going to necessarily click your phone number on, on Facebook. It's just not the way it works, but right. that's okay. Yeah, you've talked a little bit about telling your story on social media, and I think that you know you can do that across all these different platforms. But what do you mean by telling your story? I mean, that seems like an overall kind of a guiding principle that kind of sits over everything you're doing online. Sure. Yeah. So I think like the super duper popular, uh, you know, start with why concept from Simon Sinek, it's kind of gotten worn out. I've, I've seen, I mean, myself included, probably three or four orthodontic speakers talk about it. Just the basic idea that our why or what drives us or our foundational concept should be the thing that we're telling people about. Uh, and it should also drive the decisions we make as opposed to our how or our what, which for us would be we do braces and we straighten the teeth of adults and children. Um, those concepts are not very influential, I guess, in terms of marketing and in terms of people making a buying decision. And so we should be more focused on, uh, you know, our why or what drives us the same way that like Apple would or Starbucks would or, you know, great sustaining companies. The thing I, I talk about with, with telling your story and the beauty of it is, is that someone who started a cold start practice, uh, it gave me the opportunity to tell a story and the it there being social media. I, I would say 20 years ago, 10 years ago, if you had started from scratch, there is no way that you could have gotten your story out into the marketplace. You know, it would have taken four, five, six years until parents began to understand you and then talk about you at soccer games and things like that. Uh, from day one, starting a practice, we were able to tell our story, which we felt to be a compelling story, you know, about who we were and why we wanted to take care of the children and straighten teeth and that sort of thing. And so social media has just sort of sped that up for anyone that's starting their own practice. And what I would argue is if you have a compelling story, if you're trying to do something very special as an orthodontic office, social media grants you an opportunity to do that. And it's not always based around like you see like a great 
beer commercial from Budweiser, it's not about their beer. It's about like a dog reuniting with a horse or something. You know what I mean? So <laughs> it's, it's more about their why and less about their how or their what, which is the way that most orthodontists are sort of, uh, wired to think is that, well, we right. straighten teeth, we use braces and Invisalign, but that does not move a market. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's not as much about teeth and wires. It's more about smiles, and Sarah got her smile straightened, and now she won sure. the junior championship Correct. for gymnastics. Correct. It's more about the person behind the teeth, you know, um, than it is the teeth themselves in, in terms of in a market or the way that you would tell that story to the public. Sure. Let's circle back around to Facebook. Um, sure. What should I put on my Facebook page that's actually good? And I'm going to actually ask the listeners here to go go online, go to my Facebook page, Keen Orthodontic Specialist. While you're there, like it. I'll just plug my my own page. Yeah. Here. And, and go to go to Kyle's uh, Saddle yeah. Creek Orthodontics. <laughs> like his page. He he wants likes too on his page. But, of course. But, yeah. But check out our, our pages. I feel like we try, and I feel like Kyle succeeds. So you'll you'll be able to compare <laughs> and contrast here. But what what do you want to put on there? What what do you think is appropriate for Facebook? I think that the things that you should be putting on Facebook are what support your story. So if you know you understand your why or what the focus of your your practice is, those are the stories you should be, should be telling. Again, they should be more why based than how or what based. But for us, that's going to be human interest stories. And so the the posts that are going to do the going to do the best are going to be uh, if someone on your team uh, has a baby or a birthday or a major life event. Those are the stories that people are going to want to engage with. It's kind of the same thing if you look, you know, up and down your regular timeline, like what things are going to perform the best. It's going to be the things that elicit an emotional response from someone. And so like, I just got into medical school, like, you know, 700 likes and things like that. Yeah. So if you can kind of transfer that concept onto your Facebook page, you'll do real well. Now, what won't do well and what I see on most orthodontic uh, Facebook pages are very how and what based stories. And so yeah. Johnny got his braces off today. Doesn't his smile look great? Hashtag braces or something like that. It's just very contrived and canned and it's not going to do really well. No one's going to want to see that over and over and over even further if the photo doesn't look great and the caption's not original. It's just not going to do that well. And so I think the last thing I would say is look at what websites are doing the best. Uh, and unfortunately it's stuff like TMZ, what TV shows are doing the best. It's like keeping up with the Kardashians. And so uh, I wouldn't go as far as to do some of the things that they do to get media attention, but um, it's just this, it's that same concept. People are interested in people and the things that they do. And the, the most popular Twitter accounts, they are all pop stars pretty much, and yet those pop stars are not talking about their music. They're talking about their personal lives, uh, and right. that's what is going to do the best and engage the most. So you have to be a little bit clickbaity. Uh, I don't even know if I'd say clickbaity. I mean, that's, I mean <laughs> that, that is a way to get clicks on your blogs. I mean, you, you sort of... Uh, you know, if you want to study kind of clickbait or headlines, and the funny thing about clickbait is like that concept of like, you know, eye catching, you know, uh, headlines, it goes way back to, you know, like Cosmo magazine. And like it was the idea that at a grocery store, as you passed by the magazine rack and the candy, like what headline would grab your attention enough sure. that you buy the magazine, you know? So that concept has been around for even, I'm sure, before then. I'm sure before um, that, paper boys hawking their extra yeah, extra sure. read all about it. <laughs> Correct. Yeah, yeah. Newsies and stuff. So um, yeah. I think the same applies now is that you have to either, you know, with clickbait, you're, you're trying to create fear in the reader or curiosity. And so we want to create curiosity when we have a blog post and the caption should lead them want to click to learn more. I mean, we all get that, but a lot of people don't really apply that. And so I wouldn't say clickbait, though, because the thing is, is that if you're too clickbaity over and over and over, people will start to ignore you because they'll say, well, there's not really good value here. And yeah. so I think it's okay to just to tell a story in a way that 
looks very natural and you know tells a, a compelling story. Yeah, and I was being a little facetious, but I do yeah. think that you, you, you know you pointed out you know writing a compelling caption, something that is a little bit more engaging, telling a little bit of a story, not just with the picture, but also with what you write and how you how you tell that. I think that will you know work for people. Sure. Yeah. So, okay, good. Let's talk about Instagram. One of our goals and our practices here is to try to do something with Instagram. You uh, have a different take on Instagram. You kind of like to use it personally. Um, so my question is, what do I put on Instagram? You know, I'm, I'm not that much older than you, but sometimes I feel a little bit unsure as to what I particularly want to share with the world. And I guess my concerns are really almost in two categories. One is, do people like really care about what I have going on? Cause I unfollow people who post too much or I find their stuff annoying. <laughs> and then the second question yeah. is, I don't want my Facebook or Instagram feed just to turn into a look how awesome my life is repository of all the amazing things I'm doing. Yeah. Yeah. So I I think there's two main options. You can either use Instagram as your practice or as your personal page. Uh, Those are the only two options. So used to, I mean, even a year ago, you could not actually have like a business page on Instagram. Now they allow you to actually have a phone number and an address and all that kind of stuff. Now I would caution someone to switching their account over to that because what I think will happen, because Facebook owns Instagram, they did the same thing with pages as opposed to personal accounts is they pushed everyone on the pages and then they started limiting the the reach. And so they, you know, the algorithm works against the Facebook page. So on Instagram, if you're a personal page, I think eventually what will happen is your friends will still see your posts linear like in a linear fashion, but it will hide the page post. So anyway, I still advocate between those two options for running it as a personal page where it's more about you and your family and then you inject in there maybe 10% of the time stuff about your practice. Um which to some degree a little differently is how I advocate Facebook is, you know, maybe it's more like 50-50, but you have to have a balance there. I just, I feel like with Instagram being a linear timeline where I'm like you, if I see someone that's annoying, like I'm like unfollowing them and they can't really see that you unfollowed them unless you're using like a special app. And so it's much easier for them to do that. Uh, so I just have always sort of felt like people are going to be more interested in, you know, what's going on in my life, like the cool and interesting things and I'm with you. There's a point where it starts to become a little bit too much braggadocious and it gets a little obnoxious. I try not to get into that range, but um, just that, you know, I'm a guy from the area of Memphis and I'm really into the city and I like drums and I have a family and I also happen to be an orthodontist. Uh, whereas I just feel like who wants to follow an orthodontic practice Instagram? I, I just, you know, it's just, <laughs> it doesn't do yeah. much for me. And I follow a lot of people that do a good job with it, but it just ultimately, I don't know, it just doesn't stand out to me. Uh, yeah. So I would, you know, I think of people like Cole Johnson and Neil Kravitz who just kill it on a personal level. And that's a whole nother level of things. That's where they're actually leveraging their personal Facebook profile to make you then want to go and see them for braces. Yeah. Um, and they are celebrities in their areas. I mean, people dressed up on Halloween as Neil, like dozens of people, like who else would do that, you know? So he's like literally a celebrity. So of course they're going to go see him when they think of, you know, needing braces. And so that's the way that I view Instagram. I would not say that I'm doing it perfectly. Uh, by any means. And now if I was starting up, I might do it as a business, but I still don't love it. I just, I, I feel like Instagram, if you have a lot of followers, uh, when you're a personal, uh, account, I think that's better because you can tie them back in, uh, to your practice. I think. Sure. Let's talk briefly about Snapchat. Um, sure. Good grief. I mean, if there's something that makes me feel old, it's Snapchat. <laughs> I, I think that's yeah. the first technology in my life where I yeah. have that grumpy old man reaction to it. I just look yeah. at it and I'm just like, 
Uh, I don't grasp it. Do you think that I have to, or, or do you think this has relevance going forward for Orthonist? Yeah, so I'll give you points there too, because in some ways I feel that way about Snapchat. Um, and it's like, you know, the guys that were 55 when I was going to school talking about Facebook and I just don't get Facebook. I don't like Facebook. Now I kind of start to feel that way. And whatever the next site is, I know for sure, like full blown, I'll feel that way. I actually really like, I really like Snapchat. I think it's a great site. I think, it got a bad rap kind of starting as like a sort of sexting platform. And it's really just not that anymore. It's actually a really cool amalgam of personal messaging and sort of authentic live storytelling. Um, and the way that Facebook or Instagram, you spend a lot of time filtering and editing photos. Snapchat is, this is just how it is. This is in real time. Um, and you can write on, I mean, it's a really, really cool original concept. Um, the problem is, is how do you market with it? And is it worth your effort and your time? And I have really yet to find a super compelling way to do that, to be honest. Um, I see some offices trying to do it, but the real thing it comes down to is your audience. And unlike pretty much every other social media platform, there's no way to connect with people that are not your friends on Snapchat. And so as Snapchat grows and grows, people are going to be less and less likely to add new people. It's the same problem that Twitter's had is that once you have a certain audience and you're following them, you don't really want to add a lot of other people. Whereas Facebook, the one thing they do more than anything is they're, they're trying to always get you to add new people. And the reason they do that is because they don't want it to, to plateau or to taper off. Um, and Snapchat, it just, it's not about that. It's about having just your small friend group. So how do you market to that? Uh, kind of interesting in the Snapchat, you know, realm is that Instagram now has their stories function. So it's built into the regular Instagram at the very top. There are now stories that are basically just, you know, copies of Snapchat and how Snapchat works. And then also even F Facebook Messenger Day started as of this recording about a week ago. It's the same idea. So basically Facebook owns both and they're hitting Snapchat over the head with that right now. Um, and it incidentally happens right when uh, Snapchat releases their stock which I think that was on purpose <laughs> by Facebook, you know? So they're basically trying to say that Snapchat has no unique value. Um, and so we'll see. So I think you may have a point where fewer and fewer people are going to Snapchat. And as the, the generation that was really like Snapchat heavy, which are like our teenage patients now, when yeah. they grow up, will there be a new generation that, that migrates to Snapchat? I don't know. It'll probably be a different site. So I would tell you, Lance, this is my conclusion. You're probably fine in just waiting it out. I, I don't know that there's like... Yes. <laughs> yeah, so you can feel you can take that from me. I just, I, I just, I've not been compelled. I use Snapchat because I like it, but I've still, it's still not come to be that there's some like major thing that you can really build your practice. I mean, ultimately, in all this conversation about social media details, Facebook is by far the best use of your time on social media. And if you got really good at that, you could pretty much do nothing else on social media, and you'd be fine. Cool, cool. All right, let's talk about some other digital tools that are out there besides strictly social media. Uh, I know there's search engine optimization. Uh, we've got some uh, software and, and platforms targeted at orthodontists. Uh, there's yeah. Lifeline. There's uh, chat services for your website. Do you see any value in those? What are what are the ones that we want to be looking at there? Yeah, so I mean, I, I use all those that you mentioned. Um, but I'm, you know, I'm just kind of all in when it comes to digital. I mean, in, in full disclosure, I, you know, I own a digital marketing company. Um, so obviously search engine optimization and having a great website's like paramount to me because it's, that's really what we invested in when we started our practice. That's how we grew is that we invested, uh, heavily in digital marketing tools. Um, and again, because it, it, the, the playing field is leveled. Uh, so you can jump right into that and pour a lot of time into that and social media and be very successful from it. Um, now, the other two that you mentioned, 
Uh, chats I'll, I'll talk about first is there's been a lot of conversation about that and maybe how it doesn't work and that sort of thing. But it's as simple as this, is that chat is one more avenue where you can take a potential lead and convert them into like a hot lead. And so if you have someone that's searching, you know, the websites that her dentist gave her and she's got three of them and she goes to the website and looks at them, if your website is, you know, far and above a better website and it's got all the information that she's looking for and then someone chats with her and then gets her to schedule, that puts you in a really, really competitive position. Um, however, if you don't have anyone going to your website, well, then chat is not going to create leads for you. So right. it's just like anything inside your office. You could have like the coolest like office with, you know, all this amazing stuff and like, you know, crazy saltwater fish tank. But if no one's coming, it really doesn't matter. And so I think you have to think of chats as sort of a secondary or even tertiary piece of your digital marketing strategy. Um, but all that said, I think $500 a month for the opportunity to capture leads. And we're in an amazing business where, you know, our margins on a case, let's say conservatively, each person that starts treatment is worth $2,500 over two years. That's a pretty sweet trade-off for $500 a month. Um, and, you know, we're getting, you know, a lot from chat. Um, the other one you mentioned was Lifeline. And we've actually been using uh, Dentma to help us with Infusionsoft, which is a really complicated program that can automate marketing processes. But Lifeline is kind of like a refined version of that for following up with no-sale patients. Um, and we love it. It's been really successful for us, but we've been with it since July. So we've been with it for, I guess, eight months or so, nine months. Um, and it takes it a little while. It puts everyone who says no to treatment that you want into a funnel where it emails and texts and calls them at a strategic time. And so instead of like what most of us have done in the past, which is have a big spreadsheet with all those patients and then, you know, every third Thursday, the TC ostensibly goes through and calls those people. Um, it, it, that was just not organized enough. And so this is way more organized, way more automated. Um, but I see a lot of people upset that in month one, they're like, well, I didn't get anybody to start, but it takes a while. It's a 60 day process, I think. So, uh, you've got to give it time. And for me, it's about being able to scale up as a business and having tools that keep you consistent and where I can use intelligent digital tools that keep things the same way from day to day to day, just like I would expect that Starbucks would handle their business operations on a smaller scale. Um, I want to be, I want a piece of that, especially if yeah. it's a reasonable amount of money per month. Yeah, I think there's a lot of potential for these sorts of companies. There's this sure. layer between what goes on in our practice and then kind of this big data trend of, of kind of harvesting data and figuring out and how to apply it. And, you know, the, the, if, if people can figure out that little layer that goes in between and really master it, I think that's an area that potentially has a lot of growth uh, in yeah. orthodontics. Yeah, sure. I, I just think that because it's a little esoteric and it's, it's just there are a lot of digital like offerings that weren't here two or three years ago. I think people are, are apt to get kind of jaded about it and say, well, none of it works. Or I don't need to use any of that. Uh, but I, I think the, the quote I like is that you're sort of uh, tripping over dollars to pick up pennies is kind of what I think of. It's, you know, we're, we get so caught up on the little bit of cost and we miss, you know, <laughs> again, we're orthodontists. Like our margins are incredible as we speak right now. So if you can do a little bit to get a lot, I, I'm all for that. So sure. Are there other technology tools you're using either personally or in your practice 
maybe that aren't these big orthodontic companies, but just yeah. simple tech solutions. I mean, life hacks sure. was a popular term a few years sure. ago. You seem like you yeah. might be good at life hacking. Yeah, man. I'm, I'm always looking for that next thing that can kind of help make my life easier. Uh, one that I really like is Slack. And I, I've talked about this. You probably heard me talk about it. You may even use it. But uh, it's the messaging system that NASA actually used when they landed uh, that rover on Mars. And that's what popularized it. But it is a sort of an amalgam of, uh, I would say, like email and chat and uh, text messaging. Uh, so you can have different channels and so different, you know, conversations can be, uh, grouped. So like if I have clinical conversations, just the clinical team can be in there. If I have admin conversations, it can just be in there. And then you can even privately message different team members. And so when I need to know, you know, what was that I was talking about with marketing? I can go into the marketing channel and find that information and search for it. And so instead of like, you know, some people text their teams or they have a Facebook group. Or maybe they don't even communicate digitally at all. Slack is a really nice way to do this. It's really inexpensive, uh, and I don't get paid to say that. So it's are there <laughs> are your I, staff I really like. people interacting with this on their phones? Is that how they're interacting with Slack? Yeah, that's the best way to do it. Uh, now, on any team you have, there's always going to be somebody that's a holdout. So if you do a Facebook group, there's always going to be one person that, well, I don't use Facebook. Okay. Um, or there's going to be somebody that doesn't have a smartphone. Right? I don't have memory on my phone, Doc. I can't get this. It's like, <laughs> okay. So well, I mean. I, well, you know, there's always... Some, <laughs> no, I know, I know, I know. Just, <laughs> it's like, well, delete something, you know, delete yeah. that. But there's always going to be someone that kind of becomes, you know, the sore thumb, if you will. Uh, yeah. And so the beauty is, is that, well, Slack, they've got like a Mac app, a PC app. You can browser it. You can get okay. it on your smartphone. So there's, there's a lot of ways to use it. And so they know it's a requirement that if, you know, their message within 24 hours and they don't respond, it's a problem kind of a thing. Okay. So, All right, that's good. Anything else? Slack's one. I've got plenty of other ones. I think one thing just in general is that you talk, talk about this like Tim Ferriss concept, this like four-hour work week concept where you try and take any work that could be done by someone else and give that work to someone else so you don't have to do it. Uh, one thing is that, like the amount of time that we spend cooking meals and worrying about meals. Uh, one thing I really like, I talked about Grubhub. Um, we have something here called Chef Shuttle. Like having meals like delivered to your house where you don't have to think about it. Uh, is huge. We use that one a lot. Obviously, I see a lot of people using like um, uh, Blue Apron and things like that. Like if you want to sure. cook, well, you don't have to worry about the groceries. Like even go to the grocery store, like you can use now Kroger's got click list and just things that like, you know, going to a grocery store and walking around for an hour and a half with screaming kids, like you could not pay me enough to do that anymore. So I'm going to go on a computer. <laughs> I'm going to put what I want and then I'm going to go pick it up and it takes me five minutes. Like I think using again, it's it's like big data. It's it's using the you know the digital realm to make our lives easier and to give us more time that we need to spend with our families and our loved ones. Um, that's that's kind of the goal. Yeah, I think that's something that orthodontists aren't very good at. Like they yeah. make a t orthodontists make a ton of money, and then they get home. And I feel like we do a bad job though of maybe use, using some of our income. Sure. Using some of our income to improve our lives in on a daily basis. We'd rather go buy like a hundred thousand dollar car or a million dollar house <laughs> or a fifty thousand dollar vacation. But it's like you that know, we never oh, get I, to use. Yeah. But, but 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 like Kroger charges you what like to deliver oh, groceries? Oh, five bucks. Yeah, five, five bucks. bucks. But we're well, like, oh no, no, yeah. that's too much. I'm not gonna spend five dollars. I'm gonna go right. myself and spend an hour and a half. Yeah. Right. Well, because as orthodontists, we still within us, and I'm guilty of this as anyone, we still have that college dental student mindset where we have no money and we're eating rice and beans every night. So we've we've never given that up. And it's almost like a badge of pride. I mean, for a lot of us, for myself, yeah. at least. Uh, and so we, we've never given up all of that. But the truth is, is like if you're spending an hour mowing your lawn when you could be spending that time with your kids, 
give that money. To, like, is your time not worth 50 bucks to give it to a crew of guys that can ride around on their lawnmowers and do a better job and quicker than you could? Uh, and I would argue that, yeah. And especially as entrepreneurs, as business owners, if we could take that hour of time and use that to build our business, that's a way better use of our time than, you know, going out and mowing our lawn or doing whatever. And if you like to mow your lawn, mow your lawn. I hate mowing my lawn. So <laughs> we pay someone to do it, right? I hate right. getting groceries. If that's your like hobby is like picking out groceries at Kroger for an hour and a half, go do it. But I think for most people, yeah, I don't want to do that. So yeah. Yeah. Okay, great. Let's, let's switch gears here a little bit. You know, I think sure. the flip side to all of this technology is the specter that these changes are going to somehow reduce the demand for the skill set of orthodontists, right? Yeah. Uh, that yeah. either, you know, Invisalign or Smile Direct Club or one of these, uh, things is going to come in and somehow displace us and, uh, make us either irrelevant or affect our practices in some catastrophic way. Uh, how do you think we should be reacting to these new entry to the marketplace? Yeah. So, I mean, that's, that's the, uh, $100,000 question right now. And I think that's the, that's the thing that like pretty much everyone who's in the know is talking about. Now I'll go to a meeting and I'll bring up Smile Direct Club and there's plenty of doctors that are like, what's that? You know? Um, and so there are plenty of people who are not thinking about these things. And, and often I kind of wish, you know, like they say, ignorance is bliss. I wish I didn't have to think about Smile Direct Club or how that's going to affect our industry. But as someone who's always in these conversations and thinking about it, just like you are, um, I guess the conclusion I've come to is that I don't know how we uh, compete with Smile Direct Club on a national level. Like, I don't know how we as orthodontists pool together and say, like, hey, we're going to have uh, a Smile Direct Club competitor and we're going to beat them. I mean, they're a billion-dollar, you know, venture capital-supported, uh, you know, major uh, corporation. Like, I, I just I don't think we can go against them uh, from a marketing standpoint, any more than we could go against a line. I mean, it's just, I just don't think it's going to happen. And so maybe within your local community, you can market a similar kind of product where the advantage is you can actually see a doctor. Like I think as Smile Direct Club matures, I think that that will become one of the issues is that both with retention not really being factored in as much and just for all the issues that may come up, there will be a sense of fear kind of instilled in people when they think of Smile Direct Club. I mean, if you look at reviews of Smile Direct Club online, there are a lot of very negative ones, um, as you would expect, just as with Invisalign, to be honest. Um, so I do think that there are ways to compete in that same little part of the market. Um, but when I look at like big companies, like you think about like Ritz-Carlton, uh, if like a Motel 6 opens across you know, the, the street from a, a Ritz-Carlton, they don't just automatically start charging less for their hotel rooms or offering a continental breakfast, or kids stay free, or, or that kind of stuff. It's just not the way that they react. They know their position in the market, and I would say, if anything else, they invest more into that position in the market, because there will always be people wanting that service. And so, for me, my thought is with Smile Direct Club, is that if they're going to eat up part of the bottom end of the market, uh, I'm just going to invest that much more into digital marketing, uh, and marketing myself as, as the perceived expert in my area and marketing the things that differentiate my practice from Smile Direct Club and what that process would be like. Um, and I don't want to be naive, but as long as we can do something better than they can, I think there will be a market for us. Um, now, if, if you know, five years from now, if someone's listening to this and Smile Direct Club can move teeth better than we can for less money than we can, well, then we're dead. Uh, <laughs> and then, th then we'll be blockbuster. But I, I don't think at this point we are. Right. I hope not. So let's uh, kind of wrap up with this. You started a digital marketing company uh, called Neon Canvas. Tell us who your ideal client would be and what Neon Canvas would do for them. Yeah, so when we started Neon Canvas, it was the goal was to have a company 
that would make state-of-the-art websites for orthodontists with an orthodontist working in the company so that what you would get would make sense for orthodontics, if that makes sense. Um, I don't think it's for someone that's, that's right out of school because, I mean, we're, we're charging a little bit more for what we're doing because I will tell you, on this side of things, like seeing the amount of work that goes into a great website, it is a tremendous, tremendous amount of work. I mean, several months of work, uh, and it's a combination of graphic designers and copywriters and web designers and programmers. It is a lot of work to get a great website, and that is why most companies aimed at orthodontists are taking the same website and you know pulling the logo off and putting your logo on and changing a couple of the details of the text and then giving it to you as if it's a you know a custom website, which it's not. Um, and so it's just like buying a luxury car. Like if you buy a Maserati and it's like, and I'm not a car guy, so I may sound stupid here, but if it's got like 450 horsepower or something, uh, there's a lot more you can do with that car than if you get a Volkswagen Beetle, you know? Um, right. And so I think a lot of us have been buying Volkswagen Beetles uh, from website companies claiming that they're giving us Maseratis when they're not. And so uh, our goal is is to build websites that have that potential, have that horsepower, uh, so that with things like blogs consistently and SEO strategies, you can really dominate your market. Um, to be able to afford that, because it does, it does cost a lot of money to do it, it's going to be more the practices that are producing, I would say, you know, one and a half to two million or more is kind of what I would say would be kind of an ideal client where we can really, like, basically what I say is you take someone in your office that would work four days a week as a marketing person, um, could they do the same things that we can with all the different people that we have working on our team uh, in their office? So we're trying to basically be like your marketing person within your office, but we happen to have all these skills that you couldn't find in one person. It's kind of the way that I view it. Right. On your website for Neon Canvas, it says, yeah. we are a results-driven digital marketing boutique. What, what do you mean by that, results-driven? So results-driven is that we, we strive to have the analytics on everything that we do. Uh, and it's one of those areas that uh, if you've ever tried to like put an ROI on every marketing thing you do in your office, you realize very quickly that it's very difficult. Uh, but in terms of just like call tracking and using Google Analytics, we have a really cool custom analytics site where you can see if your client, you know, every single thing that's being done on all your social media and on Google. Uh, also, we use a call tracking system so you can see as the calls come in, where are they coming from? And it kind of helps you better establish and helps us, you know, better strategize where to put ad spend and things like that. And so we want to be data driven. We don't want to just be doing, you know, throwing everything at the wall and hoping something sticks. Like we want to be doing it based on data, just as we all would all want, right? It's like evidence based sure. industry. This is like yeah. evidence based digital marketing. Uh, and then the boutique would just say that we accept that we're not going to have 10,000 clients. You know, we're trying to right. work with the few offices that kind of get what we're after and that want to be number one in their markets. So yeah, that analytics stuff sounds sounds amazing. I mean, the old marketing statement is let's say like what <laughs> half of my marketing doesn't work. I yep. just don't know which half. Correct. Yeah, and right. I mean that's the thing. That's <laughs> the beauty that's how, of that's basically how yeah. I feel today in 2017. Yeah. Tr tr yeah. And, and there's some element of that that's just that's just accepted. Like you do a billboard, you may never know how well it worked, and yet people continue to do billboards year and year and year after year. And you, at Wrigley's is a great example where they stopped doing advertising because like we're Wrigley's, we don't need to do advertising, and they ended up like losing a lot of the business because they stopped doing advertising. So uh, there is definitely merit behind traditional advertising. It's just way harder to measure. But digital advertising, it's digital, so you can measure it really well. Yeah, great. Great, yeah. Thanks a lot, Kyle. Thanks for being here. Um, you've delivered some amazing content here for our listeners. I just want to thank you for taking your time. Absolutely, Lance. Thanks for having me, man. And anyone that's still listening out there, 
uh, I'm impressed. You're great. So thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs> thanks. So the best way for people to get a hold of you, if they want, they can go to Neon Canvas if they want to check that out. They can go see uh, the Digital Orthodontist on uh, YouTube. Uh, go check out and like Kyle's page on Facebook, SaddleCreekOrthodontics.com. Yeah, yeah uh, I'd say that email me at Kyle and ne- at NeonCanvas.com, or if you want to sign up for the Digital Orthodontist, we didn't really talk about that, but it's every other week I do a free video. It's about a five-minute video. Uh, totally free content. You can sign up at neoncanvas.com slash the digital ortho. Um, and we're, we just filmed six episodes of that last Friday. So it's good Sweet. stuff. So I'm looking yeah. forward to him. Good. Yeah. Thanks a lot, Kyle. Have a great night. We'll talk to you later. Yeah. Thanks, Lance. Hey guys, I want to thank Dr. Kyle Fagala for being on our show. I think you could tell I had a great time doing that interview and I learned a ton. One of the things actually in the week or two since I've recorded this episode is we've started using Slack as Kyle recommended in our office, and I would highly recommend you check it out. It's been really wonderful so far to be able to communicate with the staff, to send them messages, pictures, attach files. Uh, So if you're at all technologically oriented, I would really recommend that. Check out Kyle's vlog as well. Uh, He's done a great job with the digital orthodontist, and I've learned a lot watching those episodes. That's all we have for this week. Hope you guys are doing well, and we'll talk to you later. Thank you for listening to the Elevate Orthodontics podcast. For more episodes, subscribe on iTunes or visit our website at elevateorthopodcast.com. Tune in next week for another great episode.